Welcome to A Quarter of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Quarter of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, former headmaster at Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Noah Tetzner, a curious student of classical education and podcast producer. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on the Quarter Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of A Quarter Three Strands. Uh, This is episode three, um, the sociology of the church. And uh, you may have noticed in the introduction that uh, Noah's not here. Uh, As I mentioned in our uh, Christmas special bonus uh, we have a, a new host, at least temporarily, perhaps more so. I don't yeah, know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how I do. So we have Allison Tuttle <laughs> here, and I'm going to have Allison introduce herself. Yeah, thank you, Ron. Um, I am wife to Paul. We've been married um, 18 years. We just celebrated two days ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, mother of five, some of whom are students at Providence Academy. Um, and for those who know me well, this isn't a surprise, but I think I could describe myself as a visionary. Yeah. Um, and so I am just delighted to participate in this Palatine Institute project um, because I long to see the gospel of Jesus Christ made manifest in our community here in Northeast Wisconsin. Excellent. So you're just participating in the Palatine Institute. What's your title here? I am the director. <laughs> oh, there you go. Of the Palatine Institute. There yes. you go. So Al- Allison is the director of the Palatine Institute. She's also on the board. I am. And uh, which is, which is awesome. So uh, we're so glad to have Allison um, it, with the Palatine Institute and also uh, to be on, on uh, the podcast here. Thanks. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we're excited to have you and uh, um. Yeah, so we should we should probably do the show. Yeah. So, Ron, you and Noah um, have been talking about the kingdom of God and his people, the church. So today's episode is the sociology of the church. Would you explain what that means? Sure. So we, we've talked about the church in context of this concept of, of Jesus being the king and he's establishing his kingdom on earth. And um, and so what we want to look at is, is what is it uh, looking at the people of God? OK, who are they? How, how do you enter into this kingdom of God? How are you part of the church? There's there's a number of things. How is it ordered? Um, so we want to look at the sociology of the church so we have a better, I guess, grasp of what the church is and why we do the things that we do. Yes. Yeah. So, for instance, how, how do you enter into the ecclesia, the assembly of God's people, right? That's, that's a big question, right? So we, mm-hmm. we as... Um, as good faithful Protestant Christians, we'll, we'll always talk about salvation in terms of God's grace and faith, right? So, yes. Yeah. So we are we are justified that is made right with God um, by His grace. Um, it is it's nothing that we have done. We have not earned it. We're 
We're sinners. The only way I, I mentioned this, even in my bonus Christmas episode, right? Um, he, uh, he loves us not because we're lovable, right? He loves us because he is love. And so he saves us and makes us his own, um, by the death of his son, Jesus on the cross. And so we receive, um, this as a gift, not, not again, because of something we've earned, but it's just pure gift. We receive it by faith. And, and as we see from scripture, uh, faith itself is a gift, mm -hmm. right? We are, we are dead in our trespasses and unless, you know, and dead people can't do anything. Correct. Unless not even receive gifts. Right. We can't receive a gift. Yes. Uh, he has to make us alive. Yes. And so we, we, I want to start with this understanding that our salvation, that is um, being justified by God comes only by his grace, purely his grace as received by faith. And that faith is even a gift of God. And, um, and that is what saves us. That is not the same question as the idea of being a part of the church. Mm, so tell me more about that. Yeah. So we, we have this um, understanding that as Christ establishes his kingdom and the gospel is preached, um, people are going to be converted. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to receive it and, um, and, you know, come to faith in Jesus and join the church. They're going to become part of the church. We'll talk about that coming a part of the church in just a little bit. When Jesus was on earth, he told some parables. One of the parables was the sower, right? Some of the seed goes on to the hard ground. It's just snatched up right away by the birds. This is represents Satan just taking it. Uh, others on to thorny ground, you know, ground, and there's like um, thorns and stuff, and the, the seed grows and the cares of the world kind of make it not fruitful. Others are on a stony um, soil, so it grows, but when the cares of the world come, it kind of shrivels up and, um, or when persecution or things, it shrivels up, it doesn't pr produce root. And in some places it's, it's a, it's good soil and it produces a, a, a great abundant harvest. So that's what the kingdom of God is like, right? So within the kingdom of God, you're going to see, uh, some people who receive the gospel has re totally rejected it. Others who have received the gospel and, uh, and for a while seems like everything's great, but then. Uh, it's, it's like they, they really aren't, you know, mm -hmm. part of the kingdom. Uh, others uh, become fruitful and, you know, just in every gamut. And they told a couple other parables. One was the wheat and the tares. Mm -hmm. uh, in the wheat and the tares, uh, the kingdom of God is like a, a, someone who so, sows good seed in his field. And then along comes someone else who sows these weeds. And, uh, and so the idea was, well, I, I should try to, pull all the weeds, but the tares and the wheat are going to look very similar when they're young. And so the, the admonition was don't do that lest you pull up the good wheat too. let it grow. And then you sort it out at, at harvest. Yeah. Um, and, and this is kind of what the kingdom of God is like. So there are going to be people wherever the gospel goes, who are going to receive Christ, who are going to be truly born again and, and saved. And, and others who just kind of looks like, like it, but they're also in the kingdom of God. It's just in the end, this, the wheat and the, and the tares are going to be separated. Mm -hmm. uh, another one was the, the, the good fish and the bad fish. So the mm -hmm. uh, kingdom of God is like this net that's cast out in the sea, and you bring it in, and then they, 
when they get to the the end of the age, it says that's when they sort get, them. They sort them, and the yeah. good fish and the bad fish, right? So, so the idea is is this: uh, theologians throughout the ages have talked about the fact that um, there's there's an invisible church that is there is a church of the of God's elect, but we don't necessarily know who they are. And then there's a visible church, and within the visible church, we know that there are some who are truly the elect and others who aren't. Aren't it? Yeah. Right. So, mm -hmm. so there's there's so there's the salvation, justification by grace through faith, and then there's this idea of what the kingdom of God looks like. Okay. So now we find, now we can get to our question. So what does it mean? What does it mean then to be into the church, right? The visible church, the visible church. And we have to understand this in terms of covenant. So God always works with covenant. Yes. And he makes a covenant with his elect. Mm -hmm. And um, in the old covenant, uh, the sign of that was circumcision. In the new covenant, the sign of that is baptism. 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 So we understand that we're going to baptize people. And um, and amongst the baptized, there are going to be some who are wheat and some who are tares, some who are good fish and some who are bad fish. That doesn't negate the fact that they've been baptized and we treat them as part of the church, the visible church. So the entrance into this um, people of God is the rite of baptism. Baptism marks you off. It, it is a sign and a seal of the covenant, right? It doesn't mean that because someone's been baptized, someone is saved, but it means they're part of the church. Yes. Yeah, right? Yes. So it, the, the hard part is, is that as the, um, th this has kind of been the understanding of ecclesiology, the, which is the study of the church or soci the sociology of the church, we'll even say, um, up until yesterday. Uh, that, <laughs> And and part of it was uh, was in the Middle Ages you have um, you have the church and the state uh, kind of coexisting or or existing in terms of if you're from this particular uh, kingdom uh, you you're a part of this particular church so I'll I'll use Sweden as example I was originally ordained in the Evangelical Covenant Church and they came from the Church of Sweden. So in the in the Church of Sweden, um, when you were born, you would be baptized, and once you were baptized, you became a citizen of Sweden and a, a member of the church, right? It, yeah, they're, okay. they're both there. Yeah. So in the in the nineteenth um, century, as there's kind of some revival happening within Sweden and in Scandinavia, um, there was a real understanding that a lot of people in the church were not really saved. They weren't really believers. And the, the desire was to have a believer's church. And so a lot of the people in that time, and it, it wasn't just in Scandinavia, it was happening a lot of places, as they saw the state-run churches in their countries uh, diminishing, the desire is that they wanted a pure church. That's not a bad idea, you know. Right. Right. In our our history as Americans, we have the Puritans. They wanted to stay in the church. They just wanted it to be pure. Mm -hmm. You had the pilgrims who are separatists. They want to separate themselves from the Church of England and make their own church that was pure. 
Right? So this, this tendency has been gone on, gone on. And so what, what's happened is um, the Baptists, want, in order to make a pure church, they thought what they would do is they would wait to baptize people until they made a credible profession of faith, somehow then preserving that only wheat would be in the church. Right, that that would be their their way of making sure that the only wheat was in the church, only the ones who were baptized were were there. Now, guess what the Baptists have found out? That didn't work. No, it's no, too bad. No, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't work. The problem is that American evangelicalism, which has been incredibly influenced by Baptistic theology and understanding. Now, baptism doesn't mean much at all, except in the idea that it gets to be my profession of faith. Like, it's my work to show the world that I'm a Christian. That it's valid. That it's valid, right? Which I don't see in Scripture. Right. Right? So the idea is, um, so I've, I've met many people who, uh, they wanted a way to be baptized until they somehow pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and showed a better testimony, right? As if baptism isn't a work of God, right? So, right. so this is the, the understanding has always been that baptism is not man's work. It is the work of God. And it's done through the word of God spoken um, and the water applied. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so the idea is a, it's a, it is a means of grace. That's, and so the idea is, is I can't, it's not up to me to become somehow a better Christian and then be baptized right? or to decide, Oh, I've just had this great experience with God. And now I want to be a public testimony. Does that makes sense. Yes. It's it's in other words, this is going to sound um, to our listeners. This might not sound very great, but I'm just going to be blunt. Ready? I'm ready. Yeah. Ba baptism is an, is a sacrament and it's an ordinary means of grace. It's an ordinary thing. It is the way, it's how God does things. And, and I've had many, many people who have wanted to make their baptisms, quote unquote, special. As if the things we can add to it make it special, right? Right. Kind of like weddings, right? We're trying, you're going to, the church is going to put two people together, you know, in, in making these public vows before God. And, um, and that's not good enough. They want to make it special by adding all sorts of things to it. And, uh, and it's just kind of odd. Isn't the special thing actually getting married? Isn't the special thing actually what God is doing in baptism? Yes. But I've had people, they, they insist they want to get baptized in this lake because that's been meaningful to them, or they want to get baptized in this context because it was going to, it's going to make it more meaningful. Like uh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies, please hear me and all love. Uh, I just want to say that, that that's, it's, it's just wrong. The work of God is the big deal. The work of God is a big deal. Yeah. That's the big deal. Yeah. It's big enough. <laughs> you think, right? Yeah. It's the big thing. Um, so in, in, a, in the church I pastored before, we it was so great. We, we bought this, um, or I'm sorry, we, a, a, a church had this extremely old font that had been used for a long, long time. And someone in their church thought it was, you know, kind of falling apart and they got new furniture and they wanted one, a new font that matched the furniture. And I get it, right? You, I would do the same. But we were a church with just using like a, a, a bowl that we had 
been you it was a nice bowl for, but but to have like a real like, like a font yeah. that we could just sit there and it's uh and it was just so and i just kept thinking about all the uh, the hundreds if not thousands of people who've been baptized mm -hmm. in that font and it just and it's so to me it was just precious you know that that idea we all come to the same water there's one baptism mm -hmm. right one yeah. faith it's just it, it is and that's the entrance right into the the church it just it, it marks you out as part of the visible church of God. Now, as an elder at our church, right? If I mm -hmm. have an adult, a convert who's coming and wants to be baptized, I'm gonna we're gonna ask him questions. We're gonna look for a credible testimony of faith. We don't want to baptize someone who's not a believer, right? Right? As an as an adult, but I I don't know with 100% certainty their heart. Um, we baptize the the infants of believers as way we would believe is commanded by scripture. Um, you know, remember Abraham, when he was told of the sign of circumcision, he, that very day, it actually says that very day, he, uh, he had himself, his son, um, and everyone in every male in his household were circumcised that very day. Um, they didn't have some sort of experience. They didn't, mm -hmm. Right, he was right. just done because he was the head of the household, and he had it done. And uh, and we see the same happening in baptism. Um, so, Ron, would you would you then classify baptism more as an act of obedience? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, it's an act of obedience. If I if if I have children uh, in, born into my household, I am going to baptize them um, so that they are members of. Christ church. Mm -hmm. And, um, if I have never been baptized, uh, and I know God's command that I should, I need to go get baptized. Mm -hmm. So you get baptized. So you might ask, well, what is that? What is that? What's the difference? Like, so I know a lot of our audience, I'm going to guess who live in America, um, have probably been in places where, uh, it doesn't seem like baptism benefits you in any way, right? You, you go to church if you want, and you participate in church in whatever activity you want, and there's no need to be baptized unless you feel like giving a public testimony of your faith. Well, what, from a scriptural standpoint, baptism is the sign of seal of, of being in his covenant and being part of the church. And, and so it gives you the privilege of being considered one of God's people. And you then have access to his table, to the Lord's table, which kind of brings us to our, our, our next part of the sociology of the church, is, um, is this idea of uh, the, the Lord's table. And, and we have such a, um, I'll, I'll just say, in our modern American mind, it's hard for us to see the, the, the implications of, of the Lord's Supper um, and what that means, especially in terms of kingdom. Mm -hmm. All right. So Allison, you remember reading the Odyssey? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember then the Telemachy? The, the first four books of the Odyssey is the story of uh, Telemachus, which is Odysseus's son, who has been growing up without a father for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, his, his mom is um, being approached by all these suitors in his, in their palace, in their, because Odysseus was the king. Yes. Uh, Telemachus is the prince. And there's all these other 
noble sons trying to marry Odysseus's wife so that they could become king. And there, there's, um, there's just this disorder. Mm-hmm. And um, Telemachus is coming of age, and uh, he doesn't have the, the know-how of how to order his kingdom because he, didn't, he never had his father around to show him. So in the Telemachy, uh, the goddess Athena gets him on a voyage so he can go learn mm-hmm. how to do things, right? So he goes to meet Nestor and to Menelaus. And, and, um, and one of the things about it was in it, if you were in a Greco-Roman world, um, and it was this way all the way through the Middle Ages, even under in, in Christian kingdoms, there's this, this understanding that, um, that the king, when he brings his nobles into his house for a feast, one of the things that this is doing is setting his kingdom in order. So, the, the, so Telemachus needed to know how to do that and how to give the, the right you know, sacrifices to the gods and to um, put people in their, their particular place. You know, someone has to sit at his right. Someone on his left, those are the two most important people, and then on down the line. Mm-hmm. And then he gives gifts appropriate to the to the station of those uh of those particular men. And um, and as long as the king is able to give these gifts, which in in the Greek would be called grace, right? Um, the 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 men then are to return grace to the king in terms of gratitude or thanksgiving and fealty, which is another word for faith, right? Mm -hmm. So grace is given in the form of gifts and the response is thanksgiving and, um, and loyalty or fealty. Mm -hmm. Right. so this is, this is, you see this in the, the odyssey, you see this all all throughout human civilization where there, there, there are Kings. Yeah. So Jesus comes as a King. And guess what he does? He establishes a feast. And, and when we see the disciples arguing about who's the greatest, you know, who's going to, you know, when you get in your kingdom, you know, can you grant me to sit at your right and your left, you know, that, yeah. and we kind of laugh about it and we kind of think those guys are idiots. Right? Yeah. Um, and they are, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to miss the big point, which is, yeah, they're kind of idiots in that, uh, but understand the disciples viewpoint you have the Messiah here who is establishing his kingdom, and it's a big deal. And he has it implied once how that's going to be ordered in terms of greatness and right. Yeah, they're trying to figure out like the, what is the order of this new kingdom. Yeah, what's it going to look like? Yeah, yeah. And what's what's interesting is and who's who's accepted, who's yeah. brought in, you know. And and this was the this is the the big thing and and the apostle Paul communicates really 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 well the sociology of the kingdom is is all who are who are baptized and believe are welcome to his table there are no there are no Greek or you know or or gentile or there's no Jew or Gentile mm-hmm. right there's no um, there's no male or female. There's no slave or free. We're all one in Christ. So, so think of that. Think of that. In the ancient world, um, to be invited to the king's table, uh, to receive such gifts of his own body and blood, basically, 
um, to say you're part of this kingdom and, and you can come in and it doesn't matter your ethnicity, the color of your skin, your status. There's no rich or poor. There's no slave or free. There's no nothing, male or female. Um, the idea of, a, of women being invited in, for instance, is revolutionary. Yeah, shocking. Shocking. And, uh, but in Christ's kingdom, we're all, we're all one. We're all equals in Christ. And I think the reason is, if you, if you look at one of the, another parable, because Jesus told a lot of parables, <laughs> one of the parable kingdoms is in Matthew 22, where he talks of the, um, the banquet. There's this, uh, this wedding banquet, and, and he, the, the master of the banquet the, the, says, hey, bring everyone in. Bring it. And, and then not every, people didn't show up. So he's saying, go, go to the corners, the highways and the byways, bring in the lame, the crippled, the blind, whoever, just bring them in to celebrate. And, um, and so, so they do. And there's this one guy who comes in and he's not wearing wedding clothes and he gets tossed out. Now, the, the point of this story is, is that the wedding clothes were provided, right? He tried to go in without his wedding clothes that were provided. He refused the clothes provided. And we understand that the clothing provided to enter in is Christ, right? Mm -hmm. His shed blood um, is what covers our sin. It's, it's what makes us worthy to be in his presence. So in, uh, in human relations, right? So I'm a man and you're a woman. At, at least we identify it. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. That's a, that's a joke. Maybe we should get Noah to edit that part. Anyway, <laughs> but, um, but in reality, as, as both you and I, as Allison and I would go to the table, um, we're wearing the same garment. garment. It's Christ. Yes. So what makes me worthy to go is not my maleness or your femaleness. Right. What makes me worthy is I've put on Christ. Yes. What makes you worthy is you've put on Christ. And so we're all one. If a slave put on Christ, they're worthy to come for just as much as uh, someone who's royalty. They, cause they put on Christ. We're all one. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the same. And so there's, this is, this is one of the uh, amazing things. And, and so what do we do when we come to the Lord's table is um, we all come as, as equals, as, as one people. And we all have the same response to such grace. And that is gratitude, right? To give thanks. Yeah. In fact, one of the, one of the um, names for the Lord's Supper is also Eucharist, which means great thanksgiving. Because when Jesus took bread, he'd given thanks. And then he broke it, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, we're participating in this great thanksgiving. He's given us his, this gift. And what he wants in, an, in response is grace which in the form of gratitude, thanksgiving, and, uh, and our loyalty, our, our fealty, our faith. Mm -hmm. And so we, we come with that um, in thanksgiving, and we renew our, our covenant, our, our um, fealty towards our king mm -hmm. at the Lord's table, mm -hmm. which, is, which is why I think um, Jesus tells us, like, if, if, if we're going to come in and bring a sacrifice of thanksgiving, which would, would apply in that regard. And we have something against a brother. They have something against us. we got to go get it resolved. Well, why? <laughs> because um, that, that would show that we actually are 
loyal to to our king and his commands. Mm-hmm. That, that we shouldn't be going to the table when we've got this unresolved sin and conflict with people who are wearing the same garment, which is Christ. Yeah. In some ways, would that be like the equivalent of the guy who came in not wearing the right garment? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So if we're going to have his righteousness cover us, which means he's forgiven us, right? we have to forgive others. Exactly. And so that, that needs, that needs to be taken care of. Um, so this is, this is the, this is the, the great part of the sociology of the church. If we, if we're baptized and we, and we believe in our baptized, um, we are part of his church, the, his visible church. And we have access now to this grace of his table where we are ordered. We're all one in him. And he expects then in return, uh, gratitude and fealty, mm-hmm. uh, thanksgiving, um, and, uh, and loyalty to him. So, um, th- this leads us to another thing. And I, I have to say this because it's a, it's a hot topic in our day and age. And that has to do with, I just said equality, but doesn't the church have a hierarchy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. Tell us about that. <laughs> Well, if you well, if you've read the uh, I'm sorry, read not read, uh, listen to the the podcast on the family, right? Yeah. We understand that um, that, that uh, God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and each person in the Trinity is God, and they are equal in uh, power and glory, right? So the Father is not the Son, but He's equal to the Son. The son is not the father, but he is equal to the father. The father is not the spirit. The spirit is, and the, is not the father, but they're equal. And, and son, spirit, same thing. They're all equal, uh, but they're not each other. And yet, in the economy of the Trinity, that is how they operate in terms of their, uh, uh, their roles, um, the, the father is the one who commands mm-hmm. Jesus uh, obeys. The father is greater than the son, but they're also one and the same. So in their, their substance or their essence, they are equal in the roles that they participate. There's a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Now I know that in our day and age, or actually if, if you're interested in theological controversies, it hasn't been that long ago that there's been this controversy of whether um, the subordination of the son to the father is eternal or if it's just temporal. Right. right. While he was on earth. While he was on earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really care. I don't know. I, it's a fun little thing. And, and what does it matter? Right. I don't know if it matters anything. Yeah. Um, what, what I do know is, is that in the church, God has given some to be pastors, to be elders and teachers and et cetera. In other words, um, there's a, there is a, a bit of a hierarchy in that God has, uh, has, it's his will that within his church, it would be governed, um, by particular men. Mm-hmm. Now, now hear me. It, he doesn't say men. It's some, right? There are particular people that he calls. They are from scripture. They are male. Uh, pastors and elders who bear rule in the church. And so there is some hierarchy there 
but it doesn't mean that somehow an elder or pastor is not equal to a member, right? We're all one in Christ. We're all one. The same garment that the, uh, that I would wear as an elder, uh, to the Lord's table is the same that, uh, you would wear or anyone else would wear it's Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the roles, there's some hierarchy Mm -hmm. in that. And, um, I, I know that some people have issue with that, but I think the issue isn't with what God has established. It's probably what, um, what partly sin perhaps an experience has shown them or, um, or at maybe what they've been told happens all the time. I, I don't know. Yeah. Fear or. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so this kind of leads to (laughs) the big one, right? The sociology of the church. Ready? Here it goes. And this is, uh, this is probably the most controversial part I'm going to talk about today in our church. Wait, I just ripped on people's baptism understanding and it, and egalitarianism in terms all. of yeah. yeah yeah yeah. So if I haven't ticked <laughs> I mean, everyone off, for it. should I go back just to keep tithe? Going. <laughs> should I go back to tithing? Because I think that was one that was really fun. Um, okay, um, this is why Noah's left. Really, is is he couldn't the, handle he the couldn't handle the controversy. That's that is not true. That is not true. Anyway. <laughs> So here's here's the last one, and this is going to be a because I, I know people who listen to this show right now are going to have a problem with what I say, and I just want to say in advance they're wrong. So here we go. Here we go. I know. Look at that. Um, there's a necessity of membership in a church. Let me explain the necessity of membership in a church. That is this: the Word of God commands the elders to tend the flock in their care. There has to be some mechanism so that the elders know who is in their flock and that people know that they are being shepherded by particular shepherds because they're in the flock. Right. Right. Yeah. So in the PCA, which is where we're at, uh, the Presbyterian Church in America, we have a group of elders and we have membership. And so the idea is, is that uh, as an elder, I've taken certain oaths before God that we're going to do particular things, which includes um, bear rule in the church and uh, take care of the flock that God has given us. And so what's needed is people to also say, I, I am attached to this particular flock. And those are my particular shepherds. And so when there are um, when there's need for care, they can expect it. When there's need for um, correction, uh, they should expect it, right? So it's because we've both made vows. I've made vows before God and before the congregation. The congregation has made vows to to the elders that you know they'll submit to our. Um, to our rule, right. in, in essence, and that's a it's a big deal. It would be really weird for me to come up, or for we wouldn't do it one on one. It would probably be a pair of elders going to an errant, you know, uh, individual or something, and and to to admonish them in the Lord about something, and then and them just going, well, if that's how you feel about, it, I'm just going to go some other church. 
which happens all the time. But if they've made vows to us and said, we'll, we'll be, we'll submit to your, and we'll say, we're going to carry through when we see error. Now, now we have a different thing. Now you, now you, <clears throat> now you can't leave. <laughs> no, 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 no. But the, the idea is, is that um, it, it forces us to take it seriously. And so if, if there's some error that's happening in, in, in your life, you know, or, or in the life of a loved one or what have, and, and it goes in all sorts of ways. Like by the time it gets to the elders years, cause we expect members of our congregation to follow Matthew 18. So if someone's in known sin that someone else is saying, Hey, that's, you got to repent. And, and we trust that they're going to repent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it comes to us when there's unrepentant sin and then it comes to us and it could come in the form of like, Hey, this is what's going on. We need to do it. Sometimes it's a wife going, Hey, my husband is struggling with this and, and I've been doing everything. How can you, and, and we're going to, we'll, we'll go in and, and uh, meet with her husband or sometimes it's, you know, or vice versa. It's, it's, it's the, the whole idea is we want people to be, um, we want them to, to be restored to Christ mm-hmm. and to his table and to have fellowship and um and to have the um the fruitfulness of a of a life and that's lived in obedience to him yeah you know to to receive his gifts of his grace and his um and then just to respond in that thanksgiving and and uh and loyalty it's a it's a, it's a great thing but if a church doesn't have membership and it doesn't have pastors who are tending the flock that is you know, some of them, I don't even, they don't even know who's attending their church, let alone who would consider themselves a member. Yeah. Uh, what do you think that trend comes from? Or where, where does that come from in our modern day church? Oh, sure. I'm going to be very blunt here, Allison. As soon as churches decided they wanted large numbers instead of being pastors. Ooh. Can I say that again? Yeah, you can. <laughs> when churches decided they wanted large numbers of people rather than being pastors of God's flock. That's when it started happening. Yeah. So a pivot of success being correct, just numerical instead of. Yes. And then becoming CEOs of an organization rather than pastors. Mm -hmm. Right. And they, they, you look at, well, what's the success? Well, look at how many people are going. Well, that's not success. (laughs) Right. Right. Faithfulness is, is success. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, so, I mean, thank you. Just, just think if um, I know there's a lot of people worried about maybe come in the next decade, are we going to face persecutions as, as Christians? And if that's the case, I imagine there's going to be a lot of large buildings empty. <laughs> right. Cause they, they got a lot of numbers, but you know, is there, is there faithfulness? faithfulness? Yeah. Um, so Here's, here's my, my wish, um, if I could. Uh, if you're listening to this and you are not a, a member of a gospel-believing church that has pastors that oversee their congregation, um, you should seriously consider finding that. Um, Alice and I were just having a conversation about my, my, one of my sons is going to be moving for um, doing uh, medical, uh, the clinicals, and mm-hmm. he had to put in his, you know, 
choices, were his choices. Yeah, and yeah. so his big question to me is, Dad, do you know if there's any good churches in these areas? He wanted to know if he got accepted to a certain place, if there'd be a good, a faithful church he could go to. And I just, you know, uh, my wife, when she read that text, almost started crying because it's such a beautiful thing. So great. It is so great. Um, and, and uh, it, it's, it's like, well, what's, what's our priority? Like if you might say there's no church that's here, that's good. Well then move. That's how, right. Yeah. Well, that sounds pretty radical. <clears throat> yes. Yes, it does. Um, is that too much to expect? No. No. I mean, it depends on what your priorities are. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself first as, a, as a, someone in Christ's kingdom who wants to be faithful to him, who wants to orient his life around Christ and his kingdom? Or do you see yourself as just some independent American, you know, American in church is just a dispenser of religious goods and services? Um, yeah, I mean that seems like a like a a critical uh, mental pivot to make. Yes. In order to have the rest of these things occur, yeah. right? Like if you if you don't see yourself as a part of the people of God, yes, you're just participating in some event on a Sunday morning. Yes. Um, then the rest of these things don't matter. Yeah. Do you remember um, Billy Graham when he died? They, before he died, they asked him what he's what he's looking forward to or what his, his big hope is and what oriented his entire life was this. He wanted to hear the words from Jesus. Welcome, good and faithful servant and turn to joy today. That, that oriented his entire life. Um, there's only one guarantee we have and that's, we're going to meet our maker. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone is good. We're going to meet our maker. And t- to me, um, being, in that position, being before God, I want to hear that. I want to hear welcome, good yeah. and faithful servant, and turn to joy today. Right? And if you have doubts that that's what you're going to hear, then maybe you need to make some changes in your life. If you don't have the kind of church that's going to help encourage you in that direction, maybe you need to find a new church. Um, and I'm, I'm not, that sounds horrible. My intent isn't for people to leave churches. Our real intent, Palatine Institute, is to help churches develop good Christian culture. Yeah, which would include like, well, get membership, make membership, find out if you and please, like, I, I'm not the most, I'm not the brightest guy in the world. I I don't have all the answers, but here's what I do have: I have a heart to try to help. And if you're a pastor of a church and you're like going, look, we don't know what, we don't even know where to start. How do we teach this? How would we we follow through with this? What do we do? Um. Talk to me, right? Give me an email at one um, of my young at uh, palatineinstitute.org. Uh, if I can't help you, I guarantee you I can find people that, that will. And if you're not in my area, <clears throat> I can find people uh, in your area to help. Um, it's too serious uh, to do it. And if you're a person and you look around and you go, I have no really Bible-believing churches in my area, well, then move. Come to Green Bay. We'll figure out. We'll find a place for you to live and we'll find you a job. Like, I'm serious. And we have a school for your kids. And we have a school for your kids. We have an awesome school for your kids, actually. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just, just come. It's too important. Um, So that's, that's the, that's the sociology of the church. Um, If you haven't been baptized, get baptized. If you haven't baptized your kids, get your kids baptized and come to the Lord's Supper, eat, you know, and, and uh, in gratitude and, and, uh, 
and in faith and renew your fealty to him as, as your Lord, as your King. Um, yeah. Yeah. Basically change your whole life. That's all I'm asking. Is that too hard? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> Is that too much to ask? <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, until next time. Bye. Bye.